Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you, the worst part is actually walking up on the stage. <laughs> I'm scared I'm going to trip. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. <laughs> Good to see you all. <laughs> um, yeah, if you were here last time I was up here, welcome back. It's me again. It's your first time seeing me up here? Hello. My name's Simone. Normally, I hide at the back. And other times I look confused on stage. And occasionally I get a message from Margie that goes, hello, this is, oh, your new preaching date is this, and this is your topic. And my heart sinks. Because <laughs> I can never find a good enough reason to get someone else to do it. So I'm here again. Um, yeah, so if you've been with us for the last couple, well, not last couple, like the last two Sundays, you'd know we're kind of in a bit of a transition period with our preaching topics. Um, and every time, I, s I swear every time this happens, I'll be the first person to go on an evening service on the new topic every single time. So I've learned. When, there's a, when I get my message, I message Margie, who's before me? <laughs> and this time, I'm in the second week, but I'm still the first evening person. So it's following me around, I'm convinced. Anyway, um, like I said, the next few weeks we'll be focusing on gospel power. And Hannah, in her message this morning, she defined it as, well, she defined gospel as, the gospel as being Jesus' life and story, and then the power that it has to influence our lives. And yeah, when I heard the topic, I was like, what? Like, it's, I didn't know where to start because it's so broad, like, gospel power. Like, where do you even begin? And then I left it for a couple months. And if you want to know how long left it is, come ask me later. But it was, I went back and checked today, and I was like, oh, I should have started earlier. But anyway, um, you know, when reality kicked back in about two and a half weeks, two or so weeks ago, I was like, oh, I should probably start. And then... The only phrase that I kept getting in my, like, if I kept getting, like, running through my head was my last letter to you. And I was like, what does this mean? And I don't know if because of the season I found myself in and, like, the things that was happening in my life, I wasn't sure if that's why I was hearing these words or if it was actually God trying to tell me something. But I figured no harm, no foul, I'll just go with it. Like, what's the worst that could happen? I just have to restart. So... When you look at the context of a last letter, often it deals like with uh, it deals with after someone has passed away. So like, and it's normally like instructions, wishes, um, or just final words that they want to say. So like, if you think of a will, that is someone's last letter, and it leaves instructions. And I sat on that, and I was like, surely that's not the only place you encounter it. And then. When I was thinking on it, I, was, I, I started remembering my matric year. So when we went to go write our matric, like oh, when we went to go write our final exams, every session they'd give you five minutes to stare only at the front, like the first page of the exam booklet. Does anyone want to guess what that first page is that you have to spend five minutes looking at? Cool. It's instructions. It's a page of instructions on how not to mess up your matric exam, like 
how to not um, disqualify yourself before you've begun. So like how to like kind of like the format to follow and stupid mistakes to avoid. And another example I could think of was like when someone resigns or leaves their job, they normally leave like a set of instructions for the person taking over so that the transition period is smoother or like less unpleasant for them as they start. So then, with all of this in my, in my brain, I went to Google, trusty old Google, and I Googled what was Paul's last letter? Because you know, letters, who writes a lot of letters in the Bible? Paul, that's where I went, that was where my brain went. And that got me to 2 Timothy. So, to set the context, Paul is, oops, Paul is yet again in prison in Rome, and he's about to, you know, it's his last couple days before, you know, he moves on. And he's writing, he finds himself writing this letter to Timothy, someone whom he had mentored, who, had, who he had watched grow, um, someone who he had spent a lot of time with, and someone who he called his own son, really. And he finds himself writing this letter in his last couple days. And in this letter, he instructs Timothy on how to take, like how to take over the mantle that Paul has been carrying in spreading the gospel. And for me, it was interesting to read this letter and compare it to how I think I would write my last letter. Um, like Paul's was very put together. Mine would be about a hundred steps on how to look after my dog and to make sure he gets all the cuddles and all the love after I pass and my mom would probably be wishing that my dog was going with me at that point. So, we'll be focusing on 2 Timothy tonight, but we're not gonna read the whole thing. We're just gonna focus on a little bit. So if you could pull up um, 2 Timothy 6, there we go, 1, 6. And the nice thing about normally working at this behind the like computers and stuff is I get to pick the translation. So we'll be reading out of NLT today, not NIV like we normally do. So it says, Verse six says, for this reason, I ask you to keep using the gift God gave you. It came to you when I laid my hands on you and prayed that God would use you. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and of love and of a good mind. Do not be ashamed to tell others about what our Lord said or of me here in prison. In the NIV translation, uh, Paul says, to not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Just keep that in mind. And then it continues, I'm here because of Jesus Christ. Be ready to suffer for preaching the good news, and, and God will give you the strength you need. He is the one who saved us from the punishment of sin. He is the one who chose us to do his work. It is not because of anything we have done, but it was his plan from the beginning that he would give us his loving favor through Christ Jesus. We know about it not because of the coming of Jesus Christ. What? We know about it now because of the coming of Jesus Christ, the one who saves us. He put a stop to the power of death and brought life that never dies, which is seen through the good news. I have been chosen to be a missionary and a preacher and a teacher of the good news. For this reason, I am suffering, but I am not ashamed. I know the one in whom I've put my trust. I'm sure he is able to keep safe that which I trusted to him until the day he comes again. So this, this was part of Paul's last letter to Timothy. And it's just a small bit, and not by no means everything he had to say. Um, but from, just from this small piece of like, scripture, I can see three key aspects that 
the gospel power brings and solidifies in our lives. And I've been such a kind person that I've summed it up into three relatively easy R's to remember, but it's not reduce, reuse, and recycle because that's been trademarked and copyrighted and I can't use it. But the first one of these R's is the, is the gospel that has the power to redeem us. In verse nine, we see that not only were we bought with a price, because that's what redemption means, it means we are bought with a price, but we also see that God pre-planned this purchase. And I know I'm not the only one here who agrees that living is expensive, like life is very expensive at the moment. And coming from someone who likes to spend her money irresponsibly sometimes, it's a lot for me to say it's expensive. And if you had to picture the most important and the most precious thing to you right now, like just have it in your mind, and then in the next, like the next frame you had to go bail your friend or your sibling out of jail for something you had no part in, and you had to give this thing as the, what do you call it, bail price, whatever, I forgot what it's called, but if you had to give this away in order to bail them out, do you think you could do it? Keeping in mind you had nothing to do with whatever crime they did. Truthfully, if my sister ended up in jail for something dumb, I don't think I would have, I don't think I'd be giving her my dog away so that she could come out. Like, I don't think I could do that. And the great thing is that God doesn't even think about it. He just does it. He did it back then, he does it now, and he'll do it for us like 10 years in the future if we need to. Like, yeah, he sent his son down to earth to live and to suffer the same way we do, to face the same temptations and the same things that we do. And then he took it a step further and he had him die on the cross for us so that, so that, we, don't, so that we don't have to follow, like, so that we don't have to die on the cross at the end of our time. And he does it so that we can come to him freely. Like he doesn't put a price tag of like 10 years of holiness or something before you can get redeemed. Like it's instant, it's instant, it's instantaneous, like you get it the minute you encounter him. Um, yeah, um, if you pull up Romans 3, it says, Romans 3, 23, it says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, did I put the next one up, 24? Yeah. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty, from the penalty of our sins. In, in verse 23, we see that, like, we see the acknowledgement of our shortcomings, like, we have sinned. And we also see that God is aware of these things, like, there's nothing we can hide from him. He doesn't know that when you were two, you stole that thing. Like, he knows, like, you can't hide it from him, he knows. But even, even with that knowledge, he still, he still lets us be redeemed through Christ. Like, he still saves us. Um, and I mean, if we, look at, if we look at Paul's life, so Paul, the writer of this letter, if we look at his life, um, we see that what he has written, he actually believes because he received it as well, like he lived it out. I mean, he was persecuting people for believing in Christ. And then, yeah, he was, and then you see, it, you see his story in Acts 9, um, but we're not going to look at that because it's long. Um, but you see him in Acts 9 encounter Jesus on the road like to Damascus. You see him encounter Christ. And you see, um, him give, you see him being given the choice. 
A, you go into the town and you wait. Sure, you're blind. B, you could, or like, this wasn't like an actual choice, but you know, it's, it's hinted. B, you turn around, you go back, you stay blind, but at least you know what you're doing. Um, and I mean, if I was, if I had to make a list of pros and cons in that situation, um, I think I would have turned around and walked away. I mean, I, can, I could have adapted to a life of blindness, but at least I knew what was happening versus the, you not knowing if you're still going to be blind if you continue forward and you go to where Jesus has pointed you. Um, like, and the, the, the image I got was like of a lion becoming a vegetarian and hanging out with the buck it used to like prey on. Like it would, it would be bizarre and there'd be very little trust and like it just wouldn't work. Um, but you see through this encounter with Jesus that um, you see Paul's life get changed through this encounter. And then through Paul's life being changed, you see a multitude of other people's lives being chained, changed. And you, and you see that Paul is actually given this choice. And he gets to choose what he wants to do. Like, it's not like he wasn't held at gunpoint and said, go, to, like, go into the city and wait. Like he was said, you go in and you decide. Um, yeah. And it's from our acknowledgement of God's redemption that the space is made for God to reveal what he has called us to. And to reveal to us a new identity as someone who is chosen by God. So... That's our next R, revelation. The gospel has the power to bring revelation into our lives. So it's the gospel has the power to redeem us, and it has the power to bring revelation into our lives. In verse 11 of 2 Timothy, we can bring that one back up again. Paul writes that he has been chosen to be a preacher, a teacher of the good news. And similar, similarly, whatever, it is a reminder to all of us that because God redeemed us, it also means he has called us to something. Like, you have been called to something. It's like a fact. It's not even a question. It's a fact. Um, but it, it doesn't only, the gospel doesn't only reveal to us, like, our calling, but it also reveals to us our identity, and it reveals God's identity to us as well. Um, Hannah touched on it a bit this morning as well, and she said um, he reveals who we are, or he not only reveals who we are, but also whose we are because that plays a big part of our identity, is whose we are. Um, and this is revealed to us through time spent in his presence and time spent deepening our, deepening our knowledge of the word. Friendships and relationships, they aren't, like, built if you guys don't talk to each other. Like, if I never talk to my best friend, how can we say we're best friends if we know nothing about each other? Like, it doesn't work. And... So naturally, the more time you spend with someone, the more you understand them and the more you kind of start to think like them and like along their like wavelengths. And it's the same with God. The more time we spend with God, naturally, we find ourselves changing and becoming more aligned to the and more aware of the direction he's steering us in. And again, if we look at Paul, you know, after his encounter in, on, like, on the road to Damascus, he heads into the town and he waits as Jesus told him to. And then later on, a third party comes in, and um, God reveals to him what he's called to. Um, but also, in this chapter, we don't, just see, we don't just see God revealing to Paul what he's called to. We also see that God knows what Paul was up to and who he was. The same way that people knew who Paul was. Like, um, 
Ananias, the guy who Jesus sent to go talk to Paul, he was like, but don't you know who this guy is? And God, God says in um, verse 15, he says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name. So despite God knowing what Paul was doing and who Paul was and just the bad person he was, he still had a calling for him, regardless of who he was, if that makes sense. Um, and we can also see that sometimes when God calls us, he uses others to do it. He uses others to affirm things in us that we don't maybe see. Um, and other times, it can, it can look like long periods of waiting, where it looks like nothing's happening and it looks like we're going nowhere, but actually in like within us, God is like, he's reaffirming our identity and equipping us so that when we are called, we can run and not like hobble along the way. Um, like with Paul, we see that immediately after he encounters Ananias, um, the scales fall from his eyes, he has a mind shift change, like he's baptized, he's baptized in the holy fire and all of that, and he goes and he immediately starts spreading the good news. But if you look at someone like David, he spent many, many years, like, you know, in the quiet place, hidden and secluded, waiting to be acknowledged by his family and his, his siblings, his father. And finally, God calls him. And when God calls him, he's able to slay Goliath, just like that. So no journey looks the same. Like, no two people's journey looks the same. But through this, we see that us accepting God's redeeming power is a key to unlocking who we're called to be. Um, yeah. And then even if we, like if we look at the woman at the well in John 4, she didn't know who Jesus was, but as she spent time with him, he revealed to her the truth about who God was, and she left changed. And not only did she leave changed, but she ended up calling others as well to come and experience who this man was. Um, yeah. And there are hundreds of other stories in the Bible that you, where you can see this played out. Why? Because Jesus reveals to them the truth about God. And in doing so, they're set on a completely different path to what they were on prior. Because now they have this new knowledge and this new mindset. And then that finally leads us to our last R word. And that is when we encounter the power of, gospel, of the gospel, our lives are renewed and transformed. So our last one is renewed or renewal. Um, but what exactly does a renewed life look like? So if we go back to 2 Timothy, from verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on, laying on of my hands. For the, spirit, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. And from this, I can see, clear, I can see four clear instructions given by Paul to Timothy and in turn to us today on how we can live a renewed life. So firstly, if we focus on verse 6, we need to fan into flame the gifts, gifts or gifts of God that we've been given. We need to be taking the time to practice and become familiar with what God has given us. I mean, if you look at any spy movie or any action movie, 
I'm, I'm going spy. When the newbie comes into the training center, he doesn't leave until the head instructor is absolutely like 100% sure that when he sends this guy out on like a dangerous mission or whatever, he's not going to botch it up. Like he's, he, they're, they're not taking any chances. And it's a bit of an extreme example, but I hope you see where I'm going with this. Like we also need to make sure we know what what God has given us, what gifts he's given us, and taking the time to practice and become familiar so that we can be used by God. Um, and I mean, it's a, yeah. Like, if, you, if you're given a present, you don't know what it is until you open it. Like, you have to be willing to find out. Like, you can't play with your new Barbie doll if you don't know there's a new Barbie doll in the box, okay? Secondly, in verse seven, um, we need to operate from a space of power, love, and self-discipline. This one spoke to me. Like the first half, just being up here, I was like, <laughs> like, for this, for this, like I'm so nervous. <laughs> but like God has given me a, like, a, like God has given me the courage to do this. Like he's given me everything I needed to be up here, although it is really hard to believe when everyone's staring back at me. It's very scary. Anyway. Yeah, I wrote here, like, if I didn't believe that, stop it. <laughs> I wrote here, if I didn't believe that God has given me everything I need to be up here, I would not have walked up on here, or I would have had to be dragged up here to say this. Like, I wouldn't have come willingly. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a difficult one to implement because there's a lot of other factors that, like, push into it, but... We need to try at least, like, have it at the forefront of our minds for, with, for whatever we do um, and how we can model it to others as well. Thirdly, in the next verse, um, God, God paid the ultimate price for us so that we can be free, not so that we can get trapped in that stereotype of, like, what people say Christians are and become prisoners to that. Um, like their words said, or of me, his prisoners. Like, we're not his prisoners. We are free. And, like, we can be who we want to be. Like, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we can't have fun. Doesn't mean my hair has to be blonde. Like, I can still have pink hair if I want to be. Like, just because I'm a Christian, it doesn't change anything else about me. Um, yeah, we need to be proud of who we are. Because being ashamed, it only limits what we can do, and it only limits how far our journey can go with him. And then finally, in the last one, like the last verse, 11, we are called to live a holy life um, in all spheres and aspects. And this looks like choosing to allow God to work through us and to submit our own shortcomings to him. That's what it looks like. Choosing to ask God for his help to be kind in a situation where you maybe want to scream and hit someone. Um, choosing to ask God to help us forgive someone when we don't think they deserve it or when, we've, when we feel like, why should we if they're going to do it again? Um, yeah, choosing to humble ourselves before God and allow him to show us how to love people when you've maybe been hurt in a situation and allowing him to come in and heal that area. Um, yeah, choosing to suffer alongside him instead of living a life of luxury and comfort uh, because we know that God can be trusted to keep his promises to us and choosing to be vulnerable in, in community, 
that's a really hard one. Like choosing to be vulnerable with God's help and guidance when you maybe just want to be alone, away from people who can hurt you or from away from people who do stupid things. Um, and choosing to believe that what God has called us to isn't a mistake and that he has equipped us to see it through. Um, yeah, these were just some of the things that went through my head of like when I was thinking like how can I live a, like how can I live out what God has called me to um, and it's also just a really small part of like how we become empowered through the gospel um, yeah but like if you're wanting to know more I encourage you to explore the topic like spend time in reading the gospels and spend time in figuring out what it is that God wants to reveal to you so, redeem, reveal, and renew. <laughs> I almost forgot my own point. <laughs> That's what I want to re- like leave you with tonight. So, Rob, um, if you could come up for the communion part. <laughs>